Hi, Solar Network. Uh, my name is Steve Chang. I'm here uh, with Sam George, and I'm so privileged because Sam currently works as a catalyst for diaspora for India for the Louisiana movement. He's a former engineer that we have in common as an engineer. Um, he received his degrees at Fuller, Princeton, and he eventually got his PhD from Liverpool Hope University in theology, researching family, church, and the diaspora. He helped uh, pioneer two organizations, the Urban India Mission and Parivar International. He teaches right now um, global migration, diaspora missions, and world Christianity, and has authored several books. His latest book is um, Journeys of Asian Diaspora, Mapping origin, uh, Originations and Destination. He also uh, authored a couple of books on the South Asian um, uh, groups. Uh, one is interestingly called Understanding the Coconut Generation. So, hey, Sam, I want to welcome you. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Hello, friends at Solar Network. Uh, glad to be with you this afternoon morning, whenever you're hearing this. Uh, thank you, <laughs> Pastor, for the opportunity. Yes. Now, it says that you are the catalyst for the diasporas for India, for the Luzan movement. What does that mean? Uh, uh, my title is Catalyst for Diasporas. Okay. Uh, uh, for the global church. I serve the global church. Um, every area of uh, concentration or research, uh, mission interest uh, within Luzan is called an issue group. Um, so the whole world, the global church is divided into 12 geographical regions. Mm. And we have some 30 areas of focus of mission. And one of them is diaspora. And every time uh, Luzon had a global gathering, there are certain areas of focus, of interest that the global church embraces and we see lots of momentum. Um, so diaspora was a new uh, area of focus at the last Congress in 2010 in Cape Town, South Africa. And over the last 11 years or so, there has been tremendous uh, movement uh, because when people move, it uh, shapes and reshapes Christianity. And so we study how migration is important to the story of Christianity and what God is doing uh, with people and among people and especially people who are on the move. Um, so that's kind of my area of research. And so helping the church globally uh, to understand and you know, why migration is important to Christianity and mission. And uh, my, I'm part of the Indian diaspora. Uh, my roots are in India. Uh, my parents were there. I grew up outside. I traveled around quite a bit. I uh, lived in five different countries, uh, speak five languages. I get around, uh, around the world quite a bit on travel. I teach at five different universities uh, in Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, and North America. And, and Central America. So kind of teach uh, one place in the region. Uh, more than going to teach, I'm going to learn. I learn a lot from my students. And so this month I'm teaching in Singapore. I'm in Korea and uh, uh, India. Uh, next month, uh, uh, next quarter, I'm teaching in Singapore. Okay, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, you're way smarter than me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, we are all in the same trying to figure out what God is doing in the world and how to be part of that. Right. Um, so Sam, you were saying that uh, the concept of the diaspora. Now, um, Lizanne looked at different geographical regions as you know areas of focus. But are you now thinking, or is Lizanne thinking and you're thinking that instead of just 
thinking of geographical regions, we have to think about people as they move. Uh, and so they might be in different regions, but they're really, we have to think about them as a common group with commonalities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are threefold uh, kind of focus. Um, Luzon has a region. So the world is divided by region. Um, so Asia is divided into East Asia, Southeast Asia, Asia, uh, Middle East and North Africa. So we have regions like that, geographical regions. Uh, that still matters. Uh, but then we have issue groups, which is largely thematically organized. Hmm. Um, so, you know, so we have orality is an issue group. Uh, you, know, um, you know, we are focusing on cities, um, you know, urban uh, realities. So that's kind of global. So all the issue groups, we have a global responsibility. So when I go to Australia, I work with the region in Oceania and Australian regional director. Um, so we have regional directors for each of the 12 regions. And then I am the catalyst. So I work with all the regional director when it comes to migration and diaspora. Okay. And then we have the third region is younger leaders. We are intentionally nurturing younger leaders in our community. So all of us have, a, we teach in a school or seminary. Uh, we also work with younger leaders, uh, 20, 30 years younger than us and nurturing them and discipling them one-on-one -on -one and have a group of people that uh, whom we can nurture as scholars and future leaders for the global church. So kind of a threefold focus. So my area is catalyst for migration, diaspora, and my area of study is world Christianity. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this and, and your latest book, uh, the Journeys of Asian Diaspora, uh, you know, and it's, uh, and you told me it's three volumes and volume one just came out. Ne next volume will come out next April and volume three will come out at the end of next year, I believe, or something. Uh, August or so, July or August, it should come. Of, of next year, okay. And um, thank you so much. And, and we'll, we'll put a link of that uh, volume one at least. Um, but um, you talked about the Asia this diaspora um, and you, you talked about Asia geographically in five different regions. Can you describe each one of those regions and their primary influences? Yeah, so, you know, uh, you know uh, Luzon divides as, uh, you know, East Asia is largely uh, Japan, Korea, China, you know, and uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and all of those regions. Um, is largely, um, and then Southeast Asia is uh, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, La, you know, Laos to Cambodia, uh, Myanmar, all of that region is Southeast Asia. Um, so each of that has a regional director. And, um, um, you know, East Asia director is my good friend in Taiwan. We have somebody in Thailand who coordinates in Malaysia, who coordinates our Southeast Asia. Um, South Asia, we have a regional director. He is based in the city of Chennai. He looks after India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. Um, so that region. Um, and then we have, you know, kind of uh, Central Asia, Middle East, and North Africa. All of that is separate region. Uh, because India is very, I mean, Asia is very huge. And uh, there's nothing common, you know, at a continental level. It has lots and lots of unique cultures, religious background, his history and particularly history of Christianity, how it came to these regions. Um, so those stories are varied and you know, the complexity of these regions and the population is huge, a diversity is very huge and all of that is, you know, so we needed to have many regions and all of us collaborate and work together. 
So we just completed two weeks ago, we did at the Asia Congress, uh, which was a Luzon Asia uh, conference was, it was online of course, because of the COVID restrictions, we couldn't uh, host it, uh, but we came together from across Asia. Um, so I live in Chicago, uh, but quite involved with the work in Asia. I teach at several seminaries in Asia. So I get around there uh, to Asia and region quite a bit. Uh, but I look after, I go to Africa. I study about African diaspora. Uh, African diaspora is huge. You know, I mean, Africa is the most Christian continent now. And, uh, and Africa is the youngest continent. When young people and Christian faith, you know, the mobility comes as a result. And so we say, if you're a Christian, you will travel. If you travel, you will become a Christian. Uh, because most of the migrants of the world are Christians. And when you get uprooted and go, but we also seeing increase in crisis of, uh, you know, I mean, the, the refugee crisis. And, uh, you know, so when I, I'm, I'm an economic migrant, um, I'm, I went abroad to study, I went abroad to work, I went abroad to build business. I understand that facet of things, ministry, missions, uh, travel to 100 plus countries. So I understand cross-cultural global engagement and missionary work, business and travel. I never understood the refugee issue. I was never forced out of my country. I lived in different countries, held different passports, you know, different uh, uh, visas. Uh, but I just wanted them. When I took over in 2016, uh, my role as the catalyst for the Lausanne movement and able to speak to the whole global church, I wanted to study and understand this phenomena. So I brushed aside, I just put, took on my research hat and then went to one city in Germany. Um, so that month that Germany has just in, accepted 1 million refugees to come in. Uh, this is out of the Syria and the Iraqi refugee war crisis. And God just opened my eyes to see what God is doing even in the most, you know, uh, what uh, the chancellor of Germany called uh, the greatest humanitarian crisis on the planet is facing. So I met with the government officials, local churches, state churches, refugee camps. I went and lived in refugee camp in Turkey and, and uh, Greece and uh, crisscross entire Europe, then went to Africa, went to Middle East, several countries, uh, just to studying the phenomena. And I ended up doing a book called The Refugee Diaspora, a mission in the midst of greatest humanitarian crisis. Uh, so Miriam and I, another friend of us, she's a missiologist uh, in Seattle Pacific University. And so we together edited a volume telling the story about the refugee crisis uh, from Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Turkey and uh, Greece and Germany and England and Canada and America and Brazil and Africa. And so there's a fascinating collection of stories about how God is at work, even in what we call as a greatest humanitarian crisis. Uh, but it's just a painful reality when forcefully you displace people, uh, but God is able to work even through that. And then subsequently there was a documentary film that we generated. Uh, to create awareness among churches and Christians uh, to know uh, about the refugee crisis and how they can be involved with it. Okay, so um, I know you talked about the, the Far East Asia, um, Southeast Asia, South Asia, which includes uh, India and Pakistan, um, Central Asia, a lot of the Stan countries, mm -hmm. and the, the West Asia or um, Near East, um, and one of the things I guess you're saying right now is one of the greatest uh, humanitarian crises uh, we have ever known, all the refugees, um, people who are uh, migrating out of uh, some of these countries, whether it be Lebanon, uh, Iraq, um, now uh, Afghanistan, mm -hmm. like they are technically refugees from Asia. 
Yes, yes. Okay. Because Asian continent spans from Japan all the way to Mediterranean coast. So Israel is part of Asia. Right. Christianity is an Asian religion. <laughs> yeah. Jesus it was Asian. Asia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it began okay. in Asia. You know, yeah. So we need to see Jesus was an Asian. So when, um, I don't know if you've, uh, you know, this is a history about, you know, North American history. Uh, when 1883, when the Asian Exclusion Act uh, began, um, you know, Asians are banned from America, um, you know, because of the Chinese Exclusion Act was expanded to Asian. And so there was this uh, Nobel laureate, uh, Indian Nobel laureate, um, Rabindranath Tagore. Uh, he visited America because, you know, he's a great poet, literary scholar, a very highly respected, wins the Nobel Prize. Um, so America won. So universities are inviting him. And so he comes to an American university. I think it was in Boston somewhere. Must be Harvard or somewhere. Or Yale. And um, so he, you know, press, uh, U.S. press wants to interview him and talk to him. And he makes a very sarcastic comment because it is an Asian exclusion law is in place in America. And he said, uh, so even Jesus would not be welcome in America because Jesus was an Asian. So sometimes we think Asian rhetoric is largely East Asian and, you know, Korean and Chinese and, you know, kind of that is the dominant rhetoric because Chinese have a long history right. of migration into America and, uh, and the Japanese, you know, community was um, large and big until the war, um, Second World War. Right. But the difference about the Asian is um, I studied in England and I worked with, the, you know, churches and seminaries there. Um, in England, when they say British Asians, they means Indians, mm. because Asian is the dom Indians are the dominant group right. in Asia because India was a British colony, and you know lots of Indians came there and English. In India speaks, you know, there are most people speaking English in India than England, Scotland, Ireland, Canada, U.S., Australia, all put together. Um, so English is a very common language in India. And uh, so, you know, so lots of people went there to study, work there, you know, part of the British economy, several elected officials, some of the richest people in England are all Indians. And so Indians is the dominant group. So they call British Asians. Mm -hmm. And when you come here, I studied in California. I lived in California. Asian American always thinks about East Asian. Right. So when I go to England, I say that if you call yourself as British Asian, please include our Chinese brothers and sisters and Koreans and Filipinos, because you gotta be inclusive of everybody if you call yourself as Asian. Because right. I, I lived in China, you know, I lived in Hong Kong and um, traveled to Japan and Korea. And so I said, okay, you gotta be included. I know brothers and sisters who are pastors here in the city. And right. I'll always invite my Chinese friends to come be a part of the, you know, British Asian gathering. Right. And so when I come to California, I say, hey, East Asian, you know, you, are you Asian? And so I said, oh, I mean, are you, do you understand what Asia is? Have you traveled across Asia? And, you know, so you need to include Asians and even West Asians. Right. If you really call yourself as Asian Americans, uh, because there are many people from Pakistan and Nepal and Iran. Uh, is Iran Asia? You know, so sometimes uh, this, this narrow parochial view, uh, you know, uh, we all have a ge geographical sensibility get expanded yeah. uh, when we include other people and be more inclusive. So, uh, to be true to the titles that we carry as Asian Americans. Right. So, so now let me ask you, um, uh, Dr. George. Now, um, Sola, you know, we, we're supposed to be a gospel-centered voice for the Asian Americans. And 
Um, obviously, just the phrase itself, uh, Asian American, the title itself has a lot of uh, limitations. You know, um, what is what do we mean by America? Well, what about those in Canada? Does does it mean North America, or mm -hmm. you know, as, what about those in um, in in um, Australia? You know, would they if they if their language is um, English, etc. But why should uh, Asian Americans or those who are thinking about the Asian diaspora, why should they think more broadly and include uh, the South Asians as well as uh, um, the Central and West, uh, West Asians? Why, why, is, why is that necessary? What's the advantage? I think of it several things. I think in America, uh, those that come to America is always reference continental level. You know, African Americans, you know, Latin American, you know, South Americans, and um, so at the continental reference point, and Asian American is a broad category that includes even Pacific Islanders, you know, as right. broad as that. Uh, AAPI, you know, that right. becomes a category by which America sees us, census report sees us, um, the the more dominant culture sees us. Um, so that's one reason. Second, I think you know there is a lot of commonality across Asia, um, you know, civilizationally. Uh, Buddhism began in India, become a dominant faith in, in East Asia and Southeast Asia. And uh, we also have a lot of cultural similarity, family orientation, religiosity, community orientation, um, cultural values are much more common and similar. Uh, work ethics, uh, you know, uh, passion for family and children. So there's a lot of commonality. But most importantly, I will say Christian faith. Uh, Christian faith is inclusive. Uh, I don't have to become so ethnocentric Christian, a cultural Christian. Uh, Christianity, my faith calls me to embrace uh, brothers and sisters from all parts of the world. Uh, it is best uh, said in a, a statement by an African theologian that I love and appreciate. Uh, he said, if you belong to Christ, you belong to everyone who belong to Christ. Uh, so I must grow in my understanding of my Christian faith. I have brothers and sisters in every country of the world today. Mm. And because, you know, I'm in 2010, I had the great privilege to be part of the Luzon Congress in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, Christianity Today called it as the most representative Christian gathering in the history of Christianity. Mm. Uh, by 2010, we literally have a Christian in every country of the world today, every right. geopolitical entity. Um, so that means there are Christians everywhere. It is not just my four walls of the church, few hundred people that I worship with on Sunday morning. We have a family that is truly global in every nook and corner of this planet. And so if I belong to Christ, I also belong to these people who belong to Christ. So that understanding that we have a truly global and at least at an Asian level, um, you know, Japanese Christians and Chinese Christians and Koreans and Filipinos and Hmong Christians and you know, Laotians and Cambodians and Indonesians and Indians and Iranians and Lebanese. And I think we have um, lots of differences, but also there are a lot of things that can bind us together as a common people. And especially uh, because of the Christian faith, uh, that should be a common thing. And the task before us, what does it mean? The great diversity, uh, not to divide us, but as a strength uh, to be engaged in mission and into in, involved in God's work in the world and understanding church as a much more global entity God's people on God's mission in the world. And uh, that must be something that will unite us together across the differences of uh, geopolitical or passports 
or our ancestry, where it comes from. Okay, so uh, the advantage that we uh, of thinking of Asian Americans more broadly or more uh, technically, you know, properly is that there are a lot that we share in common culturally, you know, family oriented, work ethics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Christ just calls us to think of uh, ourselves more broadly. So mm-hmm. um, although I may feel more tribal with other Korean Americans, but, you know, if our experiences and our cultural background, that my background is very similar to, uh, I, I share so much with the South Asian American, I, I ought to be thinking of them as brothers and, and my experiences and your experiences might be so similar that uh, they, if I think uh, of of uh, the, the South Asians as us, that there's an advantage there for the gospel. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. When I first came to America 30 some years ago, um, uh, I didn't go to an Indian church. I went to a Chinese church because <laughs> I was coming from Hong Kong. All my friends were Chinese. And then when I came to Southern California, I came to Pasadena Fuller. All my friends were Korean friends. <laughs> the Fuller has lots of Korean at that time. Right. There were hardly any Indian. And then I went to East Coast. I was at Princeton Seminary. And there again, lots of Koreans. And few Chinese and few Africans, you know, but then I'm just kind of, you know, I mean, you know, uh, all of that, you know, I mean, I, I had a good, uh, uh, you know, lots of wonderful friends, um, somebody by your very name back in Korea, a uh, very dear friend of mine, and I go to Korea, you know, I'm involved with the work there, um, you know, lots of Chinese friends, I'm uh, doing a research on Chinese in Chicago over 100 years. Um, so kind of, yeah, so I've kind of moved around and, you know, of course, I had the I grew up outside India. I grew up in a very multi-ethnic, multi-Asian kind of context. Um, so you kind of, and then, you know, travel and work. Um, I used to oversee an entire business operation uh, for Asia Pacific. Um, so okay. all the way from Fiji Islands um, you know, to uh, Jordan was my business territory. And so I traveled across Asia and Pacific uh, for my business responsibility. My, my office was in California but my region was Asia Pacific. And so all of that travel just exploded in my mind and my heart uh, to see Asia as much more broader and much more inclusive. And my Christian faith uh, uh, kind of compels me uh, to understand and comprehend uh, the larger Christian community uh, and to be more inclusive of my brothers and sisters uh, who are from a different ethnic and cultural and linguistic background. Okay, thank you. Um, Now, you know, one of the things that I recently discovered, and, and maybe it's not that recent, but um, is that even among the Asian American groups in America, that there's a, obviously there's a, a lot of differences. Um, the average, the median income for an Asian American is actually higher than the, the median age for the white or the majority mm-hmm. culture people. Mm-hmm. Um, the median uh, income for the Indian American is the highest of any other right. uh, group. Um, can you, I, I think I know, but can you explain why and how maybe um, it is so different from the perception that we have of the poverty, et cetera, that exists in India and why maybe the, the, the Indians who are in America are representatively different or, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, a very good question to understand our community. Uh, Indians are around 5 million strong. Uh, it is the second largest after Chinese. Um, you know, just overtook a 2020 census, uh, Filipinos uh, to become number two community in the Asian Americans. Um, so 1 million strong, 5 million strong. 
and uh, and uh, this is the most educated and highest income group in America right now. A period, uh, just period. Okay, right. Um, over everybody else is way high. Um, you know, so highest. Uh, so the kind of the um, you know, uh, if you see, um, largely it is because the immigration is very uh, restrictive. Who comes to America is largely the cream of the cream from India. Our top engineering schools and medical schools and sciences and tech is where they are coming in. And uh, so American universities, um, you know, started targeting uh, in the 80s uh, people uh, to bring them to the graduate studies here. And before that, it was the healthcare wave. 1965 opened up the floodgates for Indians. Right. Until then, we were not allowed, much like Asians. Uh, very few handful of Indians were here. Uh, 65 and 70s were largely the healthcare industry. Uh, there's a large number of doctors and nurses in India. And you know there was a crisis here. A lot of them came. And large share of them were Christians. Um, you know, so more than half of the early migration were all Christians. Uh, because much most of the people who went into the healthcare industry were Christians. Uh, in India. Um, so okay. nurses and, you know, I mean, no young girls were allowed to go and pursue a field like nursing. Only Christians will pursue a field like nursing and doctors uh, because Hindu worldview uh, calls that a young women not to touch anybody else or touch a blood or touch any kind of all of that is unclean. And so, you know, young girls were not even encouraged to go to college or study or, you know, not uh, nursing or healthcare, health industry at all because their prospect of getting married um, you know, future prospects, all of them is undermined uh, by pursuing profession that causes you to touch other men, uh, particularly. Um, so there are a lot of religious uh, baggages and religious beliefs that restricted people. Christianity was liberative. It encouraged young people to study, go to pursue any field that you want. And then a lot of education and healthcare were brought by missionaries from the West. And so a lot of they pursued education. They encouraged young girls to go and study. And so they pursued education, a lot of nurses. There were you know, not many hospitals. So 60s and 70s, uh, there was a nursing crisis in America. Lots of nurses were brought in from Philippines and also from India. And then 80s was the higher education wave. Um, some of the brightest Indian minds started coming in. They won Nobel Prizes and um, science inventions and space and physics and chemistry. And, and then 90s was the information technology boom. Uh, that yeah, began to happen to, and uh, so now you know, 20 years later, we see Microsoft CEO president is Indian, Google C chief is Indians. So, you know, hundreds of companies are headed by Indians, and so they are the you know brightest minds from India are brought in here. So by virtue of that, the work ethics, bright minds, opportunity that America gave, they climb to the top and they become very very wealthy. And second reason is also Indian households are dual income, dual professional income. So two people working in professional fields and high-tech fields in finance, science, technology, computers, managerial careers, and business. Uh, many of them will quit soon and then start their own businesses. Um, so unlike Chinese who are mostly trading, China Koreans were somewhat professionals, but I think Indians were largely high-end professionals and they become uh, high-income groups. Uh, in America. Mm, that's fascinating. Like uh, They're also the highest educated. Most number of PhDs and MDs and 
uh, graduate studies in uh, among all communities in the U.S. right now falls within the Indian Americans. Right. I, I was talking with a doctor friend. He's saying that the Indians are taking over the medical uh, fields. Um, but uh, so, but you know, one thing that I learned just from you is that uh, because of the Hindu culture, uh, girls were not allowed to touch bodies and, and things of that nature. So they were discouraged not only from being educated, but also from uh, pursuing any kind of health uh, care uh, professions. But, but it's Christians who encouraged all of that. And so it, a lot of the, the men and women who pursued health care were Christians. And a lot of them, mm -hmm. so, and, and a lot of the ones who came to the United States and not only educated healthcare workers um, early on, but they were also Christians. Is that what you're saying? That I, I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So back in India, you know, Christians constitute technically two and a half, three percent of population of India. India is a huge population. You know, one point, you know, three million billion people, and it's a huge country. You know, large population, and so Christianity is probably seventy-five to you know eighty million, three percent or so. Um, so it's a very small percentage. Uh, but in America, almost twenty percent of Indians are Christians. Oh. So 5 million Christian Indians in America, out of that 1 million are Christians, and there are some 1,500 churches. Almost there's a church in every state in the US, Alaska to Hawaii to everywhere else. Uh, but unlike the East Asians, uh, the gateway of entrance for Indians have been New York. So they have been coming the westward and kind of the, you know, um, you know coming through the city of New York. And so New York has the large number of churches just like Korean Americans will be Southern California or Chinese will be in you know, San Francisco, whatever that is. So I think for Indians, it is New York City, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. That is kind of the gateway uh, for Indian migration, uh, post 65. Okay, okay. Yeah. So 20%, 1,500. Uh, um, so one out of five Indians in America are Christians. Mm. Um, would you say, um, and, 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 there's a greater percentage of Christians, uh, Korean Christians in America than in Korea. I mean, and That's sure right. you've heard that too. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, around 80%, 80 mm -hmm. to 85% of Koreans in America are Christians. Uh, back in Korea, it is a 25 to 30% of Koreans are Christians yeah. back in South Korea. So, so the Indian Americans now, um, is it because now, can I ask, uh, were they already Christians and they came or did they come and become Christians? Both. And it's, yeah. yeah, both. Uh, you know, so by virtue of migration, a lot of the early Christians and Christians are much more kind of you know, migratory and had education and opportunity. Um, so we find uh, um, a good number of Christians are more likely to migrate. Uh, but also many Hindus and Sikhs, uh, people who wear turban and a lot of them have turned to Christ uh, here in America. Uh, because sometimes, you know, I mean, the Hindu worldview sometimes does not hold ground mm. um, in a you know, kind of a um, modern Western world. See, remember, I mean, Hinduism says not to travel. You're mm. supposed to live and die in a place close to where you're born. Oh. Uh, if you're left to your native land, uh, you become polluted. And uh, because all the sacred rivers are in India, you had to go back and die. Your, you know, remains has to be floated on the holy Ganges. Yeah. Purification rites are only available there. Every migrant, when they return back to India, uh, you had to go through special rituals and, you know, pujas and, and uh, you know, rituals to 
uh, enter back into the temple or enter into the house and eat a meal with your family uh, because you are outcast. Literally, you're an outcast if you're migrated out because mm. you have broken the law of what we call as Kalapani, black waters. You across mm. the waters. And uh, mm. so we, it's a migrant resistant society. Uh, okay. Nobody wanted to travel. Uh, so ancient history, many, many nations, Arabs and Jews and Africans and Greek and you know Chinese have come to India for centuries. But Indians will never travel out because the Hindu worldview is very, very restrictive. So we are supposed to live close to where you are born. And when the, my, your father dies, the son is supposed to light the funeral pyre. So generations were bound together to a geography. Right. So it's like a patriarchal ancestral worship, uh, some of those East Asian cultures in China that we see where generations are bound to a geography. Right. But migration breaks the bondage and displacement breaks the bondage. And when you come to Western countries, you're comparing, contrasting some of the values and beliefs. Does it hold ground in a foreign country? Sometimes it does not. So many, right. many Indians who are migrated outside have embraced Christian faith in foreign countries. Um, I see that's another thing I, I did not know. So the very fact that, um, um, that, that if, when you find an Indian in America or anywhere else in the world, the very fact that they've migrated out shows that they, they've at least opened their minds to a different worldview. And so yep. they're, they're, they're more ripe for the gospel. They're very open. Uh, but just that those who came to America, particularly are very educated people. Mm. Um, so you just need to be mindful. They're a little philosophical. They like to argue, but you know, many of them are open to the gospel. Okay. Uh, they don't find an option to go back uh, because to having to endure all the rituals and, you know, uh, um, you know, but of course, Indian Americans are seen very successful, wealthy, achieved much, including our vice president of our country. She mm -hmm. is half Indian. Right. And so all of that success, you know, success orientation is big, uh, especially among Indian immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, so some of these religious values, uh, they themselves, they, have, they will be the first one to throw out all these religious beliefs. <laughs> and uh, they don't believe in all this. Uh, right. But of that, deep down inside, there's a sense that my soul is polluted. I need cleansing. Uh, if the gospel can come in, uh, you know, Christianity is not bound to a geography. Uh, we don't, we don't, you know, worship a place, um, you know, uh, Mecca, Islam is again, geographically centered. We turn towards Mecca and pray. Uh, we do pilgrimages to Mecca, which is a required tenet of Islam. Uh, Hinduism is also grounded and rooted and uh, imprisoned to a geography. Uh, Christianity is not bound to a place or a culture or a language. Mm. Uh, we worship the person of Christ uh, who is uh, son of God. And so the, our center of our faith is Jesus and he rose again. He's right. not buried in a place in Jerusalem. You might do right. Holy Land trips, but we are not bound to a geography right. because he's alive. Uh, he's a living person. He's moving about. Uh, God is on the move and that's why we move. And so understanding a Christian faith from a migratory lens, it is so liberative. Yeah, And uh, we are tied to the person of Jesus Christ, not, not to a land, not to a culture. That's why we translate our Bible, right. uh, because scripture is translatable. Christian faith is transportable, mm -hmm. all because, uh, you know, it is, there's no holy language. Mm -hmm. Of course, somewhere in Korea, I have heard, when you go to heaven, we'll be speaking Korean. Uh, <laughs> but when I go to Latin America, they say it'll be Spanish. Uh, when I come to Kerala, my ancestral homeland, they'll say Malayalam, that is the language of heaven. <laughs> and then somebody in China said, you know, heaven should be speaking Mandarin. 
Right. So everybody thinks, but you know, heaven will speak all the languages. Right. Uh, Revelation says, you know, I saw the great multitude from every nation, every language and culture and people and nations. So Christianity is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, global faith. Okay. And so we are tied to the person of Christ and not to a language, not to a sacred language. We have no sacred language. All languages are sacred mm -hmm. because Jesus chose to incarnate, enter into the world and come alive in every language, every culture, through men and women who chosen and uh, committed their allegiance to this Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to maybe ask like one last question. I, I know I've gone longer than I had anticipated, but I'm I'm learning so much. I'm I'm in school right now. Um, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is all my migration fundas. Right. Uh, this is my you know diaspora things. I've written about it. You know, I, I, yeah, I, and they were just scratch, uh, you know scratching the surface. One of the uniqueness of um, the Asian, uh, the, the Indians who migrate to United States, and the reason why you can have call center in, in India as opposed to in China or Korea is that Indians, um, English is um, like a national language, or, and so the Indians come fluent in English as opposed to the Chinese or Koreans, etc. What? How does that impact? And, and I know one one of the things that it allows you to be more educated quickly, you know, etc. Et assimilate quick, more quickly in terms of uh, jobs and things of that nature. How does that impact an Indian's ability to assimilate? Or the, is there still this this wall? Um, yeah, that that yeah. Well, so what is an Indian immigrant experience, and how is that different from other Asians who come? Yeah, I mean, uh, as much as we say Indians are educated, wealthy, educated, you know, that's kind of definitely the profile. But that doesn't mean it's a model minority. Uh, there are many people who have a very, very difficult reality of struggles of immigration, um, you know, but language is a strength uh, for Indians. You know, unlike Korea, you know, India is not just one language country. Uh, India is so huge. And there are so many different languages. So official languages itself is some 15 languages. So if you count all the dialects and all, it's several thousand languages are spoken in India. So every Indian will speak two or three languages. Mm -hmm. So our schooling system itself is a three language system. So every you know, kid, by the time they finish fifth grade, they know five, three languages. And some of them are very, very polyglot. They have five, six, seven languages. It's common among many parts of India, uh, many people. Um, so language, and then uh, most of them who study professional fields or go to college, uh, all of them will end up learning uh, things in English. Um, so English is one of the languages. So one we call as what well, legal and business language of India is, uh, uh, is English. Uh, we have a national language, which is Hindi. We have a regional language, which is, you know, every state has their own region. Then you'll have your own mother tongue or the dialect uh, that you speak. Um, so most Indians will have three or four languages skill minimum. Um, so they're well-versed in English. So it is part of the British colonial legacy. Um, you know, when Britain, you know, ruled India for some 200 some years, they left behind English. And uh, much of the people, the clerical staff, the workers, the, you know, work for the army, the military to the, um, the administrators uh, mechanism was completely managed by Indians and they were all learning English just to work with the British. So India has more people speaking English than England and America and Canada all put together. Mm. Um, five, 600 million Indians speak English. 
They may not speak uh, Queen's English or American accent. They have their own, you know, accent and trans, you know, uh, hybridization have happened of English language with various Indian languages in India. So those who speak Hindi and English, there is something called a hybrid language called Hinglish. They mm. blend these languages and speak mixed together. Uh, like Korean and, you know, English people mixed together or mm. Chinese. And um, so, you know, so there is a lot of, you know, a lot of people speak English. So that in a way helps them because when they come to university or college, uh, most of the undergrad they have done in English, they know the terms and you know definitions and they followed probably the same books as textbooks in their undergrad. Um, so that kind of helps them when they come as colleges or workplaces, uh, you know, sit in a meeting in a software company, you know, half of them are Indians anyway. And uh, so they all, you know, transact business, interact with them, take business from American companies and take them to India. Um, so, you know, uh, voice uh, um, services to IT services, to legal services, to back office operations and uh, software testing. Much of the software is all in, you know, English. And uh, so they have an advantage, uh, definitely has a strong advantage um, to know. But then they have the ability to adapt. They're quick to learn a language. Uh, if another language is thrown in front of them, they are quick to ready because they already have learned three, four, five languages. And then with their computers, they know four or five languages and computers. And so when computers develop a new language, they're quick to learn before anybody else. And they're able to develop solutions and applications on that uh, software and that uh, you know, application platform. Yeah. Um, so just adaptability, flexibility, diversity is part of the core value of Indian civilization and most Indian people. So if you travel just 50 miles from where you are in India, you will hear a different language. You can't understand anything different customs, different food habits, different clothing, different celebrations, everything. So India is very, very diverse. It's not just one country. In a way, it is several hundred countries. Right. And uh, so all of that diversity kind of, you know, is the, is the strength and they understand and they adapt and, you know, quick to, uh, quick to you know, learn and, uh, you know, very flexible in their uh, thinking. And all of that is a very strong, uh, it's a strength for them when they come to a place like America, which is very diverse. Okay, I, I um, yeah, I, and I'm learning still so much. Um, and that that the average Indian is a uh, very flexible because they've they've had to. You know, they, the the average person speaks minimally at least three languages, especially if they've uh, been educated. Um, I I don't know if you've heard this. Like, you know what you call a person who speaks three language? <laughs> Trilingual. Two languages? Bilingual. One language? American. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you have a sense of humor. Um, Dr. Joy, I, I have so many more questions. Um, you know, I'd love to maybe schedule another conversation with you and maybe, uh, you know, uh, Jay Thomas or someone else, and we can talk a little more uh, for you to, I mean, there's several key things that I learned today to help me better understand the Indian American. Um, and also what's going on um, around globally, um, why it's important to, to, to partner or to, uh, you know, to talk at least um, and, and, and to help each other out uh, for the sake of the gospel. So Absolutely. thank you, Dr. Uh, George. I so appreciate you today. I'm looking forward to further conversation. Also, congratulations on your book. And um, I hope, I'm, I'm going to pick it up today, okay? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Steve, and uh, you know the team at Sola. Appreciate the network and all that you do, and you know, 
um, Korean community and the East Asian community are strong. We need to continue to dialogue, learn, collaborate, work together for the sake of the kingdom. And uh, so many new opportunities ahead of us. We are living in an exciting time in the history of Christianity and we have so much more to collaborate and work together. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, blessings on you and the, your uh, listeners and uh, those who watch your Solar Network uh, podcast. And thank okay. you very much. All right. Okay, don't 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 leave yet. Okay, so we'll just cut the you know the, the person will edit all that out. Uh, but that was so fun. I, I learned so much and um, um, yeah. I, you know, like the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> I mean, isn't that how it is? You know, when we travel, when we meet people, there's so much we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Somehow we get into the silos that we stay there. You know. You know, we thought we think we have we know everything. We know so little. All right, right. I, I was talking to someone from China Partnership the other day, mm -hmm. and how she was saying that um, you know, and one of the things that they're doing is that the, they're they're trying to bring work and writings from the house church movement out in China and bring them to the English speaking world. And mm -hmm. so they're publishing a bunch of things, and we're talking about how still. Um, the perception out in the world is that knowledge and expertise, even among Christianity, it, it flows from the West outward to the, you know, the, the other parts of the world. I think that, that, you know, that is changing. You know? mm -hmm. So now we say that you know, mission is not just from the West to the rest. You know, it's from everywhere to everywhere. Right. And uh, right. so I just wrote an endorsement this morning uh, for a book about out of Africa, Africa mm -hmm. to the rest how Africa is rising as a mission force. Mm. Remember, Africa is the largest Christian continent now. Wow. 700 million Christians in Africa. Wow. Right. And yeah. Africa is also the youngest continent. Mm. Young people. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, you know, when Christianity comes, young people, they will travel. Right. So they're talking about this African diaspora. And so that book is just going to press, I think, uh, end of the year. So okay. they asked me to write the endorsement. So I read the whole thing. Very exciting how Africa is rising as a missionary force, uh, much like you know, Koreans have sent missionaries around the world. Right. Now, Koreans, you know, Africans are going as missionaries all over the world. Right. And in fact, China has become the number one place for African students. Really? No more England, no more America or Canada. They're going number to China. One destination for international students, for African students is China. Okay. And China, and China is, has invested heavily in 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 Africa. In Africa, I I knew I knew that, and I so China is a, right now a, a a very enigmatic place. They're both um, at the same time very global in their desire and ambition, but very protective of their uh, you know own legacy and culture. But you know, Christianity is exploding. By end of the year, yeah. you know, China may be the largest Christian country. Mm. Uh, okay. You know, explosive growth. I've been closely monitoring Chinese Christianity and I have many friends in there. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's yeah. a happening thing. Chinese right. are sending more missionaries now. Right, right. I, I think a friend of mine, a Chinese pastor, is saying how um, the Roman roads help the gospel to, you know, to travel. And he's saying that it's the Chinese diaspora that may be the thing that God uses because um, mm -hmm. they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Chinese have built a railroad rail network now. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was in Berlin a couple of years ago in Germany. Mm -hmm. I saw the first train arrive there mm. from Beijing to Berlin. Isn't that amazing? Train is running all the way. Imagine that expanse. Right. So the roads are, instead of road, they're building the high-speed train. Mm. Okay. I mean, we still can't pass a, you know, a transportation bill in America. <laughs> China build, uh, you know, China has more high-speed rail than the rest of the world put together now. Right. <laughs> Just in the last 15 years. Right, right. Yeah. The amount of investment that they have done in high-tech high infrastructure and airports that they built, unbelievable. Mm. But what will happen? You know, it's like the Roman roads. People mm. will move. That will be the largest impact of this. I've written about this phenomena. Um, mm. I traveled on the, you know, the, the new Chinese, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the roads and, you know, went to several cities. And so we are closely monitoring that. So Roman roads was not about Pax Romana, not about Roman civilization, not the robot Roman empire. Gospel traveled there. Right, right. Yeah. God is just using the Chinese to build all this so that <laughs> I'm projecting close to 100 million Chinese will come to uh, Central Asia and uh, Middle East and uh, Western Europe. Right, right. 100 so, million. Yeah. And so out when, of the 100 million, 70 million will be Christians. Wow. So, so like what Western Christianity could not do in Central Asia, when Central Asia opened up, like the church kind of, you know, they failed. The Muslims came and succeeded. Uh, but perhaps the Chinese will come and succeed with the gospel. Yeah. Koreans know. did some. Chinese did very little, but I think this, because at that time, Chinese Christianity was very you know, weak at yeah, that time. Right, right. But now the vibrancy and the missionary passion that they have, right. they are evangelizing people like crazy. Right. And, and they, they know what's, what it means to suffer. They know what yes. it means to do church underground. And they're not using the American model right. or the Western model. I mean, right. that is the strength. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, Korea and India, we all followed the Western model, evangelization, mm -hmm. the tools, mm -hmm. church planting, blah, blah, blah. They are using a different chain of evangelistic model. Wow. Okay. We, sh we need to have another conversation about yeah, this. Yeah, but, that is an exciting yeah. thing to hey, talk about. Dr. George, there's a conference coming up in April. You can look at our website. Um, it's for the Asian American Leadership Conference. If you can be here in California for that, we'd love to, to connect with you and just tell me look when us is up. it in Asia? When is it in April? Uh, I look me, it up. Yeah, I think it's uh, April 27th through the 29th, Monday through Wednesday, I think. Okay. Just send me some details if you have. Right. I'll plan for that. I know I am uh, teaching in Singapore in April, mm. uh, but I should be back by then. Okay. All right. I'll send you yeah. something. But Dr. George, thank you so much for your time. I okay. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Blessings.